In the United States, an average of 20 people experience intimate partner physical violence every minute. That equates to more than 10 million abuse victims annually. One in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, use of victim services, contractions of sexually transmitted diseases. This is commonly considered domestic violence. If you are in crisis, contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 safe That's one 800 Or go on their website to www.thehotline.org. So welcome back to another episode of Moms and Martinis. This is Kira, and this week I'm joined by two special guests to talk about an issue that is near and dear, not only to my heart, but to theirs and many others. As I mentioned in the introduction, we're talking about being safe through COVID-19 and shedding light on domestic violence. It's something that over the years I've become extremely passionate about and wanted to make sure that I'm advocating and being proud, I don't want to say proud about domestic violence, but being a proud survivor um, and getting through on the other side. And it was something that for a very long time, it carried a lot of shame and I didn't want people to know. But now I'm at a point where I am able to talk about it and I've met some amazing women and men along the way that's also willing to share their journey and their story. So without further ado, I'm going to have my guest introduce themselves. I think I'm going to start up north and then work my way south. So my north homie, introduce yourself to Moms and Martini. Hi, everyone out there in the listening audience. I am Sheriff Faith Brisson, or just plain old Sharice. I am up north in Chi-Town, just outside of Chi-Town, actually, um, where I uh, also co-host um, a live Facebook show called The Hot Toddy Report, H-O-T-T-O-D-Y. So it's hot topics of the day and of yesterday. Um, and I co-host that with my good friend, uh, Leah Esquire. And I'm also an active member of the NAACP, where right now I am an ambassador for the Census Bureau. And hopefully everybody out there has gone ahead and um, filled out their census information because our communities aren't counted because we're not counted. So make sure that you take care of that today. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Well, thank you so much. I just call it Sharice. Uh. <laughs> it's easier. It's easier. I call it Sharice, okay? And uh, thank you for pulling my coattail. No, I have not done my census, but now I feel obligated. So people stop tagging me on Facebook to do it. I'm going to do it today. All right. Let's move it down to the south side. My second co-host. 
Hello, hello. I'm Desiree, and um, most of everybody calls me Des or Desi. Um, born and raised in the Bronx, New York, but I took a vacation down to Florida and decided to stay. Turned into a staycation. Um, I am actually finding my new beginnings. Um, I just started learning about this podcast, um, Life that I am going to attempt at. So I am, um, oh, she mixed. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) And that's uh, pretty much just uh, talking about some of the things that I've experienced growing up while being mixed, uh, African-American and Hispanic. Um, But I also have just ventured off into the skin and hair care industry where I actually tested out the products and have been in love with them um, going on a month. Uh, because I needed a new routine for my skincare, and I'm all about hair because I was in cosmetology and I did hair back in New York. Um, and so these products I really actually like, and I'm just wanting to share with the people that I love. So that's what I'm up to. Absolutely. And we will be sure to link um, their information so you can get in contact with Sharice over at Facebook so you can get in on their spirited conversations that they have. Let me tell you. Y'all want to talk about some stuff. You you want to head on over there to the hot toddies. <laughs> go if you want to be um, proper. I'll say that. No, it's not. It's not for the proper. Um, and definitely linking you over to Desi's podcast. Let's go over and show her some podcast love. And I'm going to make sure I have both of these ladies' pictures up. Uh, once you see Desi's skin and hair, you're going to want to buy these products, Okay. You're going to want to do it. Um, y'all know yeah. my struggle game over here. So I'm going to order me some stuff. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I can give this testimony on this hair and skin. All right. So thank you so much for agreeing, uh, both of you, um, for agreeing to join in the conversation to share our experience and talk about um, just the journey that we've had with domestic violence. But before we uh, begin talking about that, I think it's important that we start off with sharing what domestic violence is or what abuse is. Because oftentimes when people hear domestic violence or abuse, they automatically assume it's a man hitting a woman. And that is not the case. Um, There are a lot of people um, that are in same-sex relationships that are experiencing abuse, and oftentimes people think it's okay, like, well, you know, it's two women or two men, and that that, that's a green light when it's not, and then sometimes the men are being abused, and typically when men talk about abuse, it's like a joke, like, like, oh, you let this happen to you, Uh, so I think a lot of men are suffering in, in, in private here because they have they feel ashamed or whatever the case may be. But um, debuse, um, domestic violence or abuse comes up in a lot of different ways. So I'm going to go through all of these uh, definitions. And if you all have experienced any of these, then just jump on in and share your experience and or your thoughts about it so that we can uh, bring awareness to it. So the first form of abuse could be the use of coercion, and threat. So this can be anything from making and carrying out threats to do something to hurt the other person um, or threatening to leave that person or threatening to commit suicide or report the person or report them, their kids or something to like 
child welfare services, um, or if the person is brave enough to bring charges against the other person, they're making threats like you have to drop these charges or even making the other person do something illegal. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to you, Sharice. Uh, what has been your experience with uh, this type of threats and coercion? In coercion, I think that it's happened more, that particular type of abuse happens more commonly within family confines, at least in my case. Um, there were um, situations where my mom, she was a working mom, and um, we had to be left sometimes with other family members. And so it would be these little games that would be being played between the aunts and the cousins and, and us kids got folded into that. Um, like, it, it, when I think about it now, and t- when you said that, I was like, oh, my God, that was what that was? Uh, like, if you don't do this, um, I'm going to kill myself. Like, I, my cousins, who were supposed to be babysitting me, would say that, or I'm going to kill you. Um, and so it would be something like steal $10 out of my grandfather's pocket. Now, this is the older cousin who's coaching me to go steal it. And if I don't steal it, this is what they're going to do. And I love this person so bad. So to say something to me like, um, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill myself. Of course, as a little kid, you don't want them to kill themselves. And you're not, you don't know that they're not going to do it. You just think this is what's going to happen. And that's one example of it, at least from, 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 from family. And then I'm also a survivor of sexual abuse. And one of the things that my abuser would say to me is, if I told or if I don't let this happen, they're ever going to do something to my mother. And my mother is my heart. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I, I, I'm just going to be quiet and do whatever I'm told to do because I don't want you to do anything to my mother. So a lot of that happened in in my home. It brings back what you said before, where people kind of see abuse as a domestic relationship with a, a partner or a spouse, but it actually, it, that particular kind was more present in my family than it was with a, a partner. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because even in me thinking of my adult life thinking, well, I didn't see my mom being abused or um, my father being abused, but <laughs> we'll get into it a little bit more. My mother used to abuse my dad. Okay, Um, he still have scars to this day. But by the time I was old enough to really see and observe this, my mom was like this devout Christian. So I had I hear these tales of how she was. Um, But when I get into my adult life, I'm like, why am I choosing this, you know, to be in this relationship? How am I attracting these things? But there are so many things that are embedding us as kids that we don't think are going to translate into relationships when we're adults, but it does. Hence the reason why you go to therapy, they always go what? Back to your childhood, trying to figure out where did the trauma first begin. Um, so I'm, I'm very familiar with that. And I'm so glad that you were able to highlight that. The other form of abuse is the use of intimidation. And this could be making the other person be afraid by their looks, their actions, their gestures, by smashing things, destroying property, abusing pets, or like displaying weapons. Um, And I know this, (laughs) my last abusive relationship, he was famous for that. And I remember the last night that we were like together, (laughs) 
where I'm just like, okay, this is not about to go on any further from here. And I remember calling my dad because I'm like, I need to be on the phone. I had already called the police. The police was en route. I was like, let me call my dad. So at least if anything happened to me, I'll have somebody on the phone. And I remember talking to my dad and he was just walking up to me, gesturing like with his finger, like he was going to slit my throat or taking his fingers um, and like it was a gun and like putting it to his head, like he was going to shoot me. And I was just so terrified. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm on the phone with my father. And he kept saying things like under his breath, like crunching, you know, cringing his teeth and mumbling stuff under his breath to me all the way up to when the police um, came. And he was like uh, saying stuff like, once it's a mark on you, uh, like I'm going to get you. It may not be now, but I'm going to get you. And I was paranoid for a very long time. Paranoid, like afraid. <laughs> I, girl, I got so many cameras on my house right now <laughs> because of it. Isn't that just, isn't that something how most abusers are really more afraid than you are? Mm-hmm. You just, you're the intimidated one. So they, they have that power over you, but they are a lot more fearful than they are pretending to be. But because you are weak in that moment, they're, they're more powerful over you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like they're not, Tell me more. they're it's not, not thought about it like that. They're not really about that life. They just, we don't know that. We, we're we being abused, so we believe everything that, that they're saying. But true, any abuser that I really honestly know or have had in my life, that is not innately who they are. Mm-mm. It isn't. It really, soft is bear meat. Pink pussy punks. I'm so serious. But I. This last one I was with, he was. Mm-hmm. At that moment, you don't see it that way. You're just like, you're afraid. Well, so you that, to that, that that's, that's exactly the type of situation I have placed myself in. And I've also been placed in um, many times in my life. And there were always different things that happened, not necessarily with someone who I was romantically involved with. Right. But it's funny you say that because I just had a conversation the other day with whom I feel is an abuser Mm -hmm. um and i had a question as far as like you know what is it that you want in life and what are are you looking for and they responded back and said all i really want is respect and power Mm. and so what in any anybody's mind would want to have power over someone else I just, I, I couldn't understand that now my, the way that I'm looking at this individual is like, wait a minute, th- these have been your patterns for a while now. And I just never really opened myself up to seeing how this is. But now with just that one answer, I can understand. Mm-hmm. I can understand where you're coming from and I can understand your insecurities, but you try to in- intimidate others and have them fear where they they don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I would go. I don't know where I would live. I don't know how I would take care of my son. And there are certain things that I've been I've been placed in that situation because you made me feel intimidated. Mm-hmm. But I was also intimidated by my mother's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I was also very scared and, and seeing how he reacted to anything in a quick second. You could just flip the script. 
Mm-hmm. And then I know what was to come after that. I know what my mom was probably going to experience. And it's not until way later where she really actually spoke to me about what he did to her, how he could have ended her life and everything else that aside from what I saw, mm-hmm. it came in so many different forms and fashions. And it really, what stuck out to me was the patterns of individuals that those patterns should really tell you something. Yeah. Now you mentioned um, your mom talking to you about it later. And um, I'm one that have been in multiple relationships that had some type of uh, domestic violence. Um, But in this last situation that I encountered, I did in that moment, like in real time, have a real conversation with my kids, whereas previously I thought I was protecting them from something by not having the conversation. So um, when did you have that conversation with your mom? Like it was, were you a child or was it like years later and now you're an adult and you're reflecting back on it? I had that conversation um, years later. I knew of, of what was going on and I got kicked out um, of the house very early because of it, because of this person. Um, and so there was a lot that I did not witness that I, I'm really, I'm sad about it because I don't know if I should have left my sisters to witness that by themselves. Um, even though I wasn't allowed to, to stay in, in the environment, I just feel like it wasn't right. But she had conversations with my sisters right then and there, whereas for me, she waited until time passed where I already had my son, my, my career, my house, everything just situated. And then when she even went, even that moment when she did talk about it, it brought me all the way back to those feelings that I had while I witnessed what I witnessed with them and how he would physically, emotionally just abuse her in such a way where then it was, she was reacting to us towards me so um, it took years for me to heal my, my relationship with her because of that. Yeah. And it took, it took a long time. But when I, when I finally were, was able to sit down and listen to her talk about it, I broke down and cried. I cried so badly because to know that someone can say they love you so much and or or be there for you in a way that you're vulnerable and, and you're really opening yourself up and you have nobody and you feel like you have nobody for them to, to just take that and use that as their control over you mm-hmm. so that you can you know do whatever they want you to do is just sad yeah intimidation is definitely one and i think it's a one i'm so glad you shared your story um about it especially thinking about teenagers and young adults in um in domestic violence situations oftentimes they don't look at it that way because it's like oh that person did not hit me but just the as you mentioned the patterns of doing things that are, are threatening or intimidating that that's abuse and that is not a sign of a healthy relationship so um, another form of abuse is the use of emotional abuse and that comes from putting the other person down making them feel bad about themselves calling them names making them think that they're crazy playing mind games humility humili- say the word 
Humiliating. Mm-hmm, because I've been Humili- drinking. Uh, <laughs> that's that martini. Um, yeah. Making the other person feel bad. Um, so I think the emotional abuse is something that people deal with quite often. So have either one of you ever been in a situation with emotional abuse? I have. I've also been an emotional abuser. Mm. Um, it was because I couldn't fight him. You know, we haven't talked about the physical part yet, but because he was bigger than me and I was so intimidated by him, um, the only way I could fight back was with words. And even now as an adult, I know that um, I can be really verbally, I guess that's emotionally abusive even now. And I really have to work at um, my word choice. I have to work at my tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so much so that I took classes on it and I've trained classes on it because it is that kind of abuse that goes back to when we were younger and kids played the dozen, right? So it was just, it was, it was fun, um, lighthearted antics of a child, mm-hmm. but that kind of, um, that kind of uh, play becomes real adult real fast later on in life. And so again, with, with this person, I could only fight him that way. So I would say the most, awful things to him that even I felt bad. He's beat me up. Yeah, beat me up. I'm walking around nursing black eyes or bloody lips or what have you, but I feel really bad because I know I said something that triggered him Mm -hmm. and I did it on purpose. So um, I've had both ends of it because he was just as emotionally abusive to me, um, but he couldn't match wits with me in that way Mm -hmm. because I hit the low belt intentionally I'm trying to hurt your soul and I did it all the time and so I guess I've been the emotional abuser in the relationships because I couldn't physically beat the person up does that make sense it does it does and even just reading through those definitions um I know that I've been on the receiving end and I used to pride myself on that when I was in my early 20s Oh my God, I had a a tongue like a sword and um, (laughs) could go with the best of them when it came to it. And I know one of the things you said, like hitting below the belt and triggering. So even with you providing and even myself, I've been that way uh, doing that. I don't, I want to tread lightly on how I'm saying this. I think I just got to say it. Yes, you do. Just say it. I think that that warrants or justifies the physical abuse. Like I'm going to say something that gets to you. Do you think it's provoking of it? No, I, I, I definitely, and, and I, and I understand why you said you had to tread lightly because I've known women who have been fought some by some of my family, male family members who have fought wives and girlfriends. And I've said, very ignorantly, like, I see why he knocked the shit out of her. I completely understand why. Because mm-hmm. her mouth, her mouth. And I've known people, men and women, who they talk so much, you want somebody to just punch them directly in the face so that they can be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming out on the other end of that, I know that was completely wrong to say. So, no, no, that's, that's, not- that's typically the narrative behind it. And I've had people yeah. ask 
see that because they was like, well, I know you. So what did you say? Because I'm 84. What did you say? What did you say? And I'm Is like, it that deserved? Yeah. A bitch, the dog a bitch, his kids bitches, they all bitches. So <laughs> it, it's horrible the stuff that I used to say, but no, it doesn't warrant a, a, an abuse because a lot of times it's retaliation. You beat me up. So the only thing I can fight back with are my words. And then there were times where it was like, all right, okay, you want to play these games? Okay, I asked you to leave me alone. So now I just go completely in. And, but at the same time, or, or, to answer the question, no, it doesn't warrant it. But think about Evan Lovato and Chad Ojofinko. It was hard for me to feel any kind of sympathy for her in that situation because I've watched her do the same thing to women on the basketball live show, and it was just really hard to connect with her emotionally. But I was like, well, this is what you do. This is what you do. How are you asking us to support you when you do this yourself? But as a survivor, I'm like, we don't know what's going on in this woman's mind that have made her that way. And it certainly does warn an athlete to put his hands on her. You know it's what I mean? Crazy. So, you know, I grew up, I grew up the exact train stop where she grew up. Um, and a lot of what we had to do in the Bronx is fight our way through. I feel like I've been fighting my entire life. Right. Um, not to say that I had like a really, really bad childhood or really bad upbringing. I really didn't. I appreciate where I come from. But at the same time, we were very tough and I'm ready to pop off. You you want to rock? I'm ready to pop off. You're coming near me. As, as much as I, I will keep the distance, if my arm reaches out and you're that distance, then you're fine. I will not pop on you, but you come closer. I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I've found myself in two two different positions i was the victim and then i also was the abuser mm-hmm. now emotionally i felt like i was abusing the the other person and putting them down mm-hmm. and then i also felt like the intimidation the emotional abuse then the physical abuse started coming into play mm-hmm. and to that other person, it was just like, no, we scrapping because that's how you wanted, you wanted to get, you wanted to throw those hands. So we're scrapping. That's it. But at the same time, it's like, wait a minute, hold on. This is not me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't beat people people up. Like, this is not me. Yeah. And I think for, I know Sharice is talking about like the physical abuse. I think for me, I was, I always grew up just like mild mannered, you know, um, and I really didn't start a lot of mess. But my family can tell you stories that if provoked, like <laughs> I was going to throw some hands growing up, but I wasn't, I'm not, uh, I wasn't one to be known to start fights. And then my younger brother would always like get into stuff. Uh, and by the time it was, um, he and I growing up, it's just the two of us at home. You know, they'd be like, I'm going to get my big brother. Well, it wasn't any big brother at home. So he was like, I had to go and get my big sister. So I, even as a kid, was fighting like the boys in the neighborhood. So when I got into this relationship and I found myself pregnant by this man that was overly aggressive and would, you know, manhandle me and pull me around, the the innate, like, like Desi is saying, I grew up fighting guys, no matter how big, how, you know, whatever. So 
it's to the point where I'm just like, y'all know my soundtrack, knock if you buck. So I'm ready to like fight and go with, you know, go back and forth. So he could very well say that he was in a domestic violence incident because the, you push me, I'm punching you, you know? And then it got to the point with him, it was very, you know, physical. And then I get married and my ex-husband isn't physical, but the emotional abuse is there. And I would spaz out. He was like, I've never done anything. I've never hit hit you. Like, why are you responding this way? But he made me feel so little, so little emotionally, just so very little. And I would just do the craziest things, break stuff, <laughs> you know, abuser, break stuff, bust windows, tires, just crazy. And he was like, I don't know why you're acting like that. And then he would also say things about my appearance, my intellect, just being around other people, not wanting to be around me. I remember asking him if he could say something nice about me. He told me he couldn't, you know, so those things made me to begin to feel bad about myself and impact uh, my self-esteem. Um, and, and it showed up in so many other ways in uh, the relationship. So I'm so glad one, all three of us have <laughs> identified, yes, we are survivors of domestic violence, but we've also been the aggressor, <laughs> whether physical, <laughs> emotional. Uh, yeah, we, we have been the aggressor. Um, but I will say as we get into it, um, the I know the last like relationship I was in, I was not that aggressive. Like I, I, I didn't do anything, and I know, like I'm gonna own my shit. Okay, if I was the crazy <laughs> one, or I, don't, I hate using the word crazy. If I was the one that was starting the mess, I will own it. But in this case, I wasn't. It was him, and solely him. Um, and I think that it messed me up a little bit more because I'm like, I, I thought I was doing everything right. And one of the things that he did, um which is another form of abuse, is to use isolation. Mm-hmm. Controlling what I was doing, who I could see, who I can talk to, what I could read, where I could go. Uh, if I needed to go somewhere outside of the home or for work, he had to be there. And if he wasn't there, I couldn't go. And would just do everything to just justify him being jealous. Um So have you all ever dealt with the situation where the abuser um, has put you in isolation? Yes, I have Um, multiple times, actually. Um, The first time when I was younger, it was like some serious isolation, like you're in my room, you don't have no way to contact nobody. I remember the way that I got out uh, was by trying to get on someone's Facebook to contact a friend that can contact my mother, that can contact my father to come and get me. Hmm. And it was just crazy. Um, But I found myself doing things that I didn't really understand at that moment. Um, I was extremely young. The guy was older. He knew what he was doing. And um, he just... Every single time that we had sex, I felt like I was being raped Mm. every single time. It would hurt so badly. Mm. And then from from all of the stuff that he did to me, keeping me inside, he gave me chlamydia. Mm. He got me pregnant. Mm -hmm. 
I begged him, begged him to just not put me through it and just let me go and to leave me and let me let me leave. But the only way that I was able to was to get onto his brother's computer, find the Facebook friend and tell them, hey, let my mom know here's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> crazy enough, with that happening the first time with the cops coming and get me, me going with my dad, um, going back to his house. Um, I even moved away, but I found myself right back in the same, like the exact same situation with the same person stuck in the same house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the, like, am I stupid or was, what am I trying to prove here? Like, what am I trying to do? Do you not remember what he did to you? Do you not remember? Like you took a pill, you fell asleep, you woke up, you were aching. Do you not remember you were drunk out of your mind, throwing Hennessy bottles out the window? Do you not remember like being high as fuck the entire time? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't you remember the fighting? Don't you remember the bruises? Don't you remember like the, the pop vessel in your eye? What is it? Why, why go back then having to have an abortion and having to take a, a drink to now release yourself and make yourself pure again, but you're never going to feel pure mm-hmm. to go right back into it. So that posed the question. Thank you, Desi, for sharing that. And I know that's a tough um, situation and it's more common than what people want to actually admit. And one of the questions that I'm sure we've all heard, and Desi, you just mentioned, why do we go back? Why do we go back? I went back and kept having babies. You know, (laughs) I went back after being arrested multiple times with different guys, you know, with my oldest daughter, father, after he drugged me hanging outside of a car down the street in D.C., I still went back. You know, I went back after uh, guns being put to my head. And uh, it's hard to explain. Sharice is like, yes, me too. So they want to know. The listeners want to know. Because everyone's like, if this happened, I'm not going back. And like, everybody's just so positive. They wouldn't go back. So let's, <laughs> let's hear what you have to say. Why do you return? Why do you go back? I think there's so many different reasons why a person might return. Um, For me, I was taken out of a situation, so he became stability to me. He became peace to me. Um, And I'm always, what gets me emotional about my abuser was that he knew my story. He knew what hurt me. He knew what I was going through. And that's the very thing he used to hurt me the most, like, the physical abuse was one thing. Okay, okay, that happened. And I'm not dismissing that or making it seem like it's small. But what hurt me the most was that you knew my story. You knew what I was going through. You knew that. And you did the exact same thing to me or worse. You did worse. And I just don't understand that. So I would find myself um, being uh, in love with the idea of what we were before Mm -hmm. I found out who he was. Mm -hmm. Um, This was somebody who I knew he would give me his last and he would make things really comfortable for me. Um, We would laugh and we would talk. We both loved the same kind of music. So we would be singing songs and we'd be watching TV. 
when we didn't have no money, we didn't have no money. He and I both, neither one of us had any money. And we was um, scraping money together to get gyro specials from the restaurant. Those are the things that I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. He became somebody else that I did not recognize. And every time I was leaving, I'm going to leave. I'm about to go. I would be reminded of that love and that feeling I had for who he used to be. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, that person still exists somewhere in there. He's still there. I just got to figure out, you know, how to keep him there. And then I'll go back because he made it comfortable again. Mm-hmm. And every time I went back, it got worse. Yeah. But I only saw that after I left for good. So as I'm going back and the situation is getting worse, I don't even realize it's escalating. Well, now you're not just going to choke me. You're going to punch me in the face, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you're not going to choke me and punch me in the face. You're going to um, pistol whip me. Oh, now you're not going to just pistol whip me, slap me in the face and choke me. You're going to kick me in my stomach. Okay. But none of that made sense to me because every time I came back, as, as intense as the abuse got, the remembrance of how intense my love for him was, it seemed to grow with it. Mm-hmm. Don't you remember how he took you out that time and y'all sat on the lakefront and he told you that this was going to be us forever and that he just wanted you to be happy and he just gets so jealous because other guys are starting to look at you and this is down the third and he don't want nobody to have me. That's love. That's love, Sherry. Say, relax. That's love. He just was real jealous and that's why he did that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kept going back because I was in love with what I remembered mm-hmm. about him. I was in love with the best part for him that no longer existed. That's yeah. the best way I can put it. Yeah. Yeah, same. I do remember that. And I remember very distinctly the lie that I would tell myself. I would say, this is how you love someone back to better health. Like I was going to love this man so very much that it was going to somehow make him better. And he was going to see that I wasn't like the rest. And he was going to, you know, uh, be able to see how empathetic and compassionate and understanding and patient and all these things. And that was somehow going to make him this better. If you're a real woman, a real woman, you are a real woman. You will still be there. You're ride or die. So you're not like this. And we're going to tell our story and I'm going to tell people, this is how you build a man up. Meanwhile, he's threatening to leave me in places, uh, took me all the way to California just to tell me how he was going to hold me out on the strip. Girl, like he's going to, you know, he's just upset. It's the alcohol. Don't mind. You know, I remember trying to, he would get so aggressive with me and I'll just go and lay in the bed and try to like, if I go to sleep, he's going to go away. No, <laughs> like he kept dragging me off the bed. Like, I trust me, I get it. I was like, oh no, this is how you build one up. It's, it's I'm gonna do this. Mm-mm. And the other thing too, they are so charismatic. <sighs> they are so charismatic and they make you feel so much love when it is love. And you do, you get wrapped up in that moment and you're just like, I can just hold on yep. to your family and friends are in love too mm-hmm. because they always see they're like oh that's the best per- the best person for you how could you want to leave him you're so selfish it's your mouth you, you, your mouth go back to that 
emotional abuse. It's your mouth. You talk too much. You talk, You can't talk to that man like that. That's why he, see, you know what? That's what your problem is. You you know what? You, that's what your problem. You talk too damn much. Mm-hmm. What you, you don't think he gonna get mad? You out there cussing and that other? But y'all didn't know what happened twenty minutes before I snapped off. You don't know what was happening in the house. So now you stay because your family is convincing you that this is the best thing that has ever happened to you. You gonna leave that big house? You leaving that big house? You you gonna leave? The man goes out and buys your tampons for you. You don't even have to leave the house to get tampons. He does that. He pays a cab service to take you everywhere you want to go. But you don't know that he's doing that because I can go where he tells me to go, come back home. Mm-hmm. How often do y'all see me? But to them, he's the best thing in the world. So why would you leave? So in my mind, I'm thinking they're right. Yeah. Can't do no better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, my abuser definitely isolated me from everybody. I end up cutting everybody off and just solely being him. And um, I would go to work events and because he was uncomfortable in these settings, um, he would make me feel uncomfortable. So I was ready to go. And then as soon as we leave, he's happy. But of course, I'm sad because I'm a very career driven person. Um, and like, that was my, you know, my career. That's my stage. I'd be on fire. I love it. And you, it's like you're isolated me even from that like you you see that I'm happy and he was like well you act different around certain people like and then try to again go back to minimizing who I am with the emotional abuse saying that I didn't know who I was because I wasn't consistent across the board but I'm like there's a difference when I'm with you or my family or at work like it's different size of me but he was de- definitely uh, making me feel isolated and away from everybody. I'm going to go to another one that you mentioned, like this person providing all these things for you. So the economic abuse and economic abuse is preventing that person from going to work or keeping their job, um, making them ask you for money or an allowance, um, taking their money or not letting them have access to the family income. So, um I know, Sharice, you said that um, with your uh, abuser, you had to go home and come back out. You said that you couldn't have a job. <laughs> you said, like, no. No, um, he said that um, if I got a job, it would be to trick off. I would only be doing it to find somebody at the job to mess around with so I couldn't have a job and that I didn't need a job. Um, so that's more of the manipulation to me. So I see the financial abuse differently. Okay, so I'm going to be super transparent here. Um, So for me, financial abuse is because of how I grew up and the circumstances that led me to being who I am right now at this moment. I'm very, very careful with money because I'm afraid of not. Can you guys hear me? Can you hear me well? I'm afraid of not being able to take care of myself. It's the thing that makes me cry. It's the thing that keeps me up at night. It's the thing that bothers me the most. If I'm not able to physically shelter myself, feed myself, take care of myself, having to depend on having to depend on someone again in my life would I'd probably rather die than to have to go through something like that again. So I'm very careful with money. So After the abuse and I had a relationship with this person, I found that I was doing everything Mm -hmm. 
everything. Hold on a minute now. Wait a minute, goddammit. We both going to work. Um, so you gonna um take care of this? And it was almost like they wouldn't because they know I would. Happened to me. They knew I would. So it, that's financial abuse to me because that's like you're saying, look, shit, you got it. You good. And you're not considering us as a family or us as a couple. You're, everything is placed on me and not because you can't do it. It's because you won't. That's financial abuse to me. Mm-hmm. And it makes me not only am I paying everything, I'm gassing up the car, making sure we eat, I'm making sure your ass is clean, and and you could be sitting on the money and won't do it because you know I will. That's financial abuse to me. It is. So as far as not being able to work in things, I put that under that manipulation mm-hmm. um, because I almost missed my opportunity. You know, and I've been employed with the same company now for almost 24 years. Yes. And it was the reason why I left. It's part of the reason I left, which we'll talk about later. But my job had a lot to do with that. But, yeah, so the financial abuse came after my physical abuser, that one who really took me through. It came from from people who who I honestly genuinely loved, who were not in my mind abusive. I didn't see them that way until one day I was like, wait a minute. Wait, hold on a second. And so that's how I see financial abuse. And that happened more than once after mm-hmm. um, I left my actual abuser. <laughs> that makes sense. I, I think the situation for me when it when it came to finances was I was being put down um, because I didn't make uh, as much that their potential could have been. Now, the reason why I say that is because anybody that works on commission is just potentially you can flourish one month, but the next could be nothing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was the manipulation, but the way that this individual would put me down. And I made sure that you got to where you got to today because I pay for this and I pay for that. And I, and I'm over here like, no, mm-mm. or like how should I say, was it house way? <laughs> how sway? How? <laughs> because I remember like this coming out of my bank account and I remember feeding you and I remember, you know, getting the specific soap you like and, and doing things that count for something, even the smallest thing. So what's the reason for you to try to manipulate or to try to make me feel less than because I don't have the potential of making 20000 in one month? Mm-hmm. That's a potential. That could have been the only month you made $20,000. So am I supposed to just give everything up because, oh, well, you know, here, here's to your potential. Mm-hmm. You should have it all. Like my hard-earned money didn't go into any of it. Girl, yes, when I abused her, I could have hired somebody and paid them a little bit above minimum wage how much money he took from me. And the common uh, conversation or language used in our mutual friend group was, oh, you're his sugar mama. And I'm just like, what? Um, And he started, he was working. I had a surgery. 
he took off of work to take me to the surgery and used that as an excuse to quit his job because he needed to take care of me. And then I helped him to get the job back um, only for him to quit again. And he said he wanted to do these things. And we had a conversation about it. And he was like, I was hoping that you were going to say that you were going to support me because I knew you loved me. And, and if you, it, basically, if I didn't say these things that I didn't love him. But that took on me being like uh, the bank. I had to pay for everything. Um, even end up paying for his son to come from California to come live with us and pay for like everything, vacations, clothes, his car, like carnal insurance, like everything I was being paid for. Plus you have this individual in, um, even his mom was like, you acting like he didn't do anything around the house. Didn't he help you move? And um, don't you think that that was like the return? No, I could have hired somebody and had more money. Yeah, financial abuse is a hard one. It's a hard one to identify because it's so, well, all of them are can be, but financial is one that's kind of iffy because everybody, everybody sees it as give and take mm-hmm. in different ways. Like, yeah, I, the person that I was with was good around the house too. They cook, they clean, and, and this, that, and the third, but so do I. Mm-hmm. Here's the kicker. I was one that was working I was still cooking all of the meals. I would get up every morning and cook this man breakfast, bring him coffee to the bed, make sure that cook dinner, lunch, pack his lunch when he did decide to work for a little bit of time, pack his lunch every day. Um, he didn't clean anything. I cleaned up everything. I would, you know, knowing my kids wash clothes, I'm like, I would not dare ask my children to wash this man clothes. So I'm washing your clothes. I would give this man baths. Okay, bathe his ass. Everything. Only for that nigga to, to punch me in my face. Like, come on. No sway. How sway. How sway. And I'm thinking, like, I'm doing all of this, all of this, trying to support you. That somehow it's going to get better. Individual. Well, hold on. You got baths? Are you acting a fool? You got your ass back? Any and everything. And I remember him once saying, Oh, like, oh, you're a good woman. And um, you, you know, just naming all the things. He was like, and I can get pussy whenever I want to. Like it was like I was everything to you. Your porn star, your bank, your cook, your maid, your chauffeur. Uh, your litigator because you didn't understand stuff because I was smarter. So you took my business sense to do things for you. You know, just uh, everything, everything. I gave everything to this man only for him to just treat me like shit. Didn't care. Did not care. Um, And that, okay. So another one, minimizing, denying and blaming. So making light of the abuse, um, not taking your concerns seriously. I still, well, I finally recorded them, but I used to record our conversations because he would say, like, we would talk and I'd be like, no, you said this. He'd be like, no, I didn't. And trying to make me think I was like imagining stuff. Mm -hmm. I had to start secretly recording our conversations 
Mm-hmm. And I play it back and it used to piss him off. And I'm like, cause I know like you're trying to make me think that I'm making this stuff up in my head and I'm not making it up. And when he found out I was recording them conversations, then after that, he would just play like wordplay. He'd be like, so you think I need help? Huh? Hmm. Oh, I'm not doing anything. Why are you raising? Like he was such, Ooh, girl, he was good. Um, he says, uh, another one under minimizing, deny and blaming is saying that the abuse didn't happen. He's always say he was drunk. He never remembered. Um, and then shifting re- the responsibilities from the abusive behaviors and then blaming the victim, saying that they are the reason why all of this happened. <laughs> Look at Sharice. Yep, that poor. Yep. Everything was my fault. You asked for this ass whooping. Mm. You know, you make me do this. Why would you even, if you know, he was trying to reason with me. Mm-hmm. If you know, you know I'm going to go off. You know I'm going to bust you upside your motherfucking head. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And my, me was, I was thinking, why did I do that? And so I would rationalize for myself and we argue, okay, just be quiet. Mm-hmm. Don't say Mm-hmm. Don't say anything. Let him talk. It will Whatever go. you got to say. Yeah. But then they're mad because you're not talking. Yes. Now, <laughs> you ignore me. You yeah. didn't tell me, don't you? The more upset he would get, the more meeker I'll become. Like, it was to the point, like, my head was down. Like, I wasn't, like, in this, like, please don't. You know, like, you just breaking a person down. Like, I'm not going to make eye contact. Yes, I'm wrong. Just like, it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. Oh, my gosh. Um, Another one. It's uh, two more, and then we can talk about um, some other ones here. It says using children. Uh, <laughs> so making her feel guilty about the children, using the children to relay messages, using visitation to harass her and threatening to take the children away. Look at Desi. Go ahead, Des. This, this, oh my gosh, this topic is like, it's crazy because my ex-husband, not my first husband, my second husband, um, he, he's white Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, he comes from a different background, different upbringing than I did, which I thought was okay at first. I thought, I thought that, you know, it was just going to be a biracial couple thing going on and it was going to be great and I could learn something from it. Well, I was wrong <laughs> because I experienced all kinds of abuse in that relationship where I saw drug abuse mm-hmm. um i saw uh, mental abuse emotional abuse and but then was i was the one that was arrested for physically abusing him mm-hmm. but that didn't take place maybe emotional mm-hmm. because i i put him down 
as much as he acted crazy and he was this whole different person and saying all the, all of these things and attacking where I came from and who I am as a woman and my culture and my background and my family because you feel like you have the privilege to do so mm-hmm. and then using it as um like as a scared tactic where well, I'm going to call the cops on you I'm going to call the cops on you Mm-hmm. You keep acting like that. I'm going to call the cops on you. And what happened that night that I was arrested was he said that he was going to take my son away from me. Mm. He said that um, he was going to, um, he was going to damage my, my, any, anything that I was doing for my career at the moment and, and will and tried. Mm-hmm. And I ended up suing him for defamation because of which and um, then he started jumping up and down, getting himself all riled up and called the cops and saying that I was going to uh, kill him, that I was that he was fearful for his life. Mm. I haven't even touched a man. So he was using his white male privilege mm-hmm. in this situation, in his case. Yep. Crazy. Were there was there ever any abuse? I'm sorry, Shakira. What, no, go ahead. Was there ever any physical abuse between you two? Was there ever anything like that? Either one no, of you? Not physical. Well, I, well then. Okay, so this was weird to me then. I didn't understand it, and I didn't see it as abuse then until stuff happened later on, and he was exposed for who he really is. Um, he, I would be sleeping. And he would force himself inside of me while I'm sleeping. And I would find a way to get out. And I would go. It got to the point where I had to like literally move him all the way out the room into his own room and lock my door with my son because I just wasn't for it. And then he started with the text messages. Like, oh, yeah, last night you were so great. I could bend you over, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then made me feel like like, like I had to, like, protect myself and, and be guarded while around him. Or I didn't even really want him to be around my son mm-hmm. because of the sexual abuse that he was doing to me. And... There's more to come on on where he's at now and why he is where he is. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a, a tough one with the, the kids. I know with my oldest daughter, her dad, he was physically abusive. And that was just a volatile relationship. We was abusing each other. So I get out of the relationship with him. I was dating around, nothing serious. And then I end up dating this guy who pulled a gun on me. And um, his aunt was the manager of my apartment complex. So he would come into my apartment and just move stuff and send me messages, like, you know, to intimidate me. And I was afraid. Um, So I end up leaving. At the time, I was living in Maryland. I end up leaving Maryland, coming to Georgia, and literally, I had a 1987 Buick Century. If it didn't fit in that century, it wasn't coming. You know what I mean? So I went to my um, 
my daughter's father. And I'm just like, um, I was having a hard time transferring my jobs. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going, what I'm going to do. I just need her to stay with you for a little while to allow me an opportunity to get on my feet. This was in December. Um, I got a new job by January. By February, my car my car got stolen that January. By February, I had a new car. March, I had an apartment, furniture, everything. So it didn't take me long. You know, y'all know I'm a woman on a mission. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So by March, I was ready to go and get my daughter. And um, he was like, well, she's in school. I don't think you should disrupt everything or whatever. So I'm still thinking, okay, this is good. It's her dad. I go to visit Mother's Day. He served me with papers, went to the courts in D.C., and served me with papers of abandonment of child. Yes. And before he was paying child support and when because I moved so abruptly, all of the child support checks that I was getting, I would mail back to him. So it's not like I'm, you know, I'm trying to get money, whatever. I'm thinking that we're co-parenting and, you know, this is going to happen, uh, which he still denies. But I say to this day, I got the money order receipt. <laughs> I've sent you them checks, you know, like you, I, I got receipts, but he still denies it. And I was just so baffled. And the case was so crazy in the whole process of me trying to get her back is because when I left like Maryland, D.C., Virginia altogether, I was living in Maryland. I had moved to Georgia. The last known address I had for him was in Maryland, but my daughter was going to school in D.C. and she was using another address. So no one knew which jurisdiction, like who had authority over the case. Um, so long story short, they end up, he ended up getting married. And matter of fact, his ex-wife I'm going to have on the show because her and I are friends now. They are divorced and we still friends. Um, but they didn't, But that wasn't always the case, of course, because he had painted me out to be a hooker, a drug addict hooker. And that's what I was doing in Georgia. And that's what she thought I was. So they end up moving to North Carolina. So now you have my last known record of them living in D.C. My, well, her school's in D.C., him in Maryland, I'm in Georgia. Now I know you're in North Carolina. So finally, I, the ex-wife sends me a picture of my daughter. I make flyers in fax all of the schools in North Carolina. And finally, one of the schools called me back. And that's how I was able to find out where my daughter was. Mm. That's how I was able to find out. Wow. Wow. That is that's something. That's, and even between that, he and the he and the wife had separated. So the school was able to intervene because he had stopped letting my oldest daughter go to school. So they had a warrant in North Carolina. If your kids aren't vaccinated and they're not in school, the parents get arrested. So they already had a warrant and they were looking for him and she had moved out. So in the attempt, once they found, once he found out, like I found out where she, where they were and all of that, he took her to the ex-wife to try to hide her. The ex-wife called me and said, I got your baby. I said, I'm on my way. And she gave my daughter to me and that, Eventually, they already had issue, but that made the their marriage dissolve because she had given my daughter back. 
So he can't stand her. Like they, I mean, they got a whole bunch of stuff, but that was just like, how dare you? <laughs> so I am going to have her on the show and we're going to talk about it. So the people know I'm not like, I can do a whole lifetime movie about that story. <laughs> that wow. wow. That's going to be a very interesting conversation, I'm sure. There's a couple of things that could come from that. So many. But I love her. But I yeah, he took my damn truck. That, that kind of um, abuse because my my daughter's father, he was just there. He, you know, I think later on, like when she got ready to graduate high school and stuff like that, he accused me of turning her against him. I didn't do that. I would force her to go over until she got to an age where she said she did not want to go. And I tried to explain it to him. I'm not going to force her have a relationship with you. Something's happening that she doesn't feel comfortable with. And I was the kid who used to cry when my mom would drop me off at people's houses. And I, and I asked my mom later in life, why didn't you pay attention to that? And when your child is crying and, and screaming and begging you not to leave them, you had to pay attention to that. I wasn't just spoiled. That wasn't, but something was happening. So when she started like having full on panic attacks, when she knew, like, she would, I would, she'd be playing with something, I'd be like, you don't go over your daddy. When I tell you, she would stop what she was doing and cry for, like, an hour straight. Mm. She's going to make me go over there. I was, and my mother's like, she ain't going nowhere. She's not going. And so I stopped making her go, but he didn't put up a fight either. You know what I mean? So I didn't have that kind, except for the fact that he would, he says that I poisoned her against him, and even today, like, their relationship isn't where it's supposed to be because of me. Um, and I let him have it. Whatever, sir. Whatever. But I just need you to think about this. What have you done for her that would warrant her to want a relationship with you? What have you done to me uh, that would warrant me to try to facilitate a relationship between the two of you? Never put you on child support. I didn't ask you to do anything. When I did ask you, you never could. You wouldn't. I can't stand his mother. She can't stand me. That's cool, too. Um, so anything that was done for her on his end came from his mom. So I guess I guess, I guess, guess the only part, uh, as far as the kids are concerned, is he blamed me for their relationship. Not They're not having, there's not one. So that's my fault. It's, it's, it's always crazy. And then oftentimes... Uh, women are the ones that get labeled as the uh, the parent that's causing all of these problems, but it wasn't. Um, I remember too, even when I went to um, pick, trying to pick my daughter up, one of the, the terms that he gave me was um, he was willing to drop the case if I canceled my child support order, which I did. Um, but that didn't change anything. He still didn't want to give her back. Um, and then when I finally did regain custody over my daughter, it was years and years and years went by. And I didn't ask for child support until after I divorced my ex-husband and I lost the income and I was really, really struggling. Like, I'm just like, I just need these men to take care of their damn kids. Like, that's it. So I finally, you know, filed child support when she was like 14. 15. You know what I mean? And I and I think a part of me wanted to do that to prove like I, I never wanted you for your money. Like I just even despite all of that, 
I've always promoted that they have a relationship. Despite his mess, despite his antics, despite what he did, I always, you know, like, you should have a relationship with your dad. She'd get upset. And I'm like, don't talk about him like that. Just like in this way of protecting. But once it got to a point when my daughter was going through so many things emotionally behind it, I was like, look, it's your job to fix this. I can't keep protecting you. Like she has her own, and you're not going to blame me because of it, it, because that's not what's happening. Even with her mom, we both were protecting him. And then I called her one day because it was like me and her was the mom and dad. I'm like, look, (laughs) we on the same page. This is what we're going to do. We're going to shift this and we're not going to protect him anymore. Just let, you know, let's whatever she want to know, we're going to tell her. And that's how we're going to do. And she's going to form her own relationship. And now she's no, and I still I still be saying, girl, call your daddy. She'd be like, now. <laughs> but their relationship is getting better. We gotta give kids <laughs> a lot more credit than we do because kids are not as 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 gullible as we think they are. They can handle a lot more than we understand. And they know a lot more than we think they do. Mm-hmm. So while I was trying to be that person where it's like, well, she doesn't need to know that, she's too young, da, 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 she knew. Mm-hmm. She knew herself. And I remember one time, she was about nine, and she was like, uh, you know, mommy, uh, I know why you I know why you don't like my dad, and I don't like him for the same reason. Now, that hurt me because I thought I was doing a really good job of pretending. But here she stood telling me, I know why, and I don't like to say the same. Well, first of all, I didn't know what her reason was or what she thought mine was. Um, but the fact that she could say that to me with a straight face, mm-hmm. let me know that whatever she thinks the reason is, she has a dislike for him that I cannot control and I can't own. Mm-hmm. And when I did, the one time that I had this conversation with him, oh, and he was the abuser, by the way, um, I said to him, um, you know, it's going to come to a point where she's going to make up in her mind her idea of you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be done about that. You're not going to be able to do nothing about that. Your mama not going to be able to do nothing about that. It's going to be her own opinion. And I told him, I know you think that I'm like telling her things about you and, 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 and saying bad things about you. And I was like, I have not intentionally done that. Now, she has heard me talking to somebody on the phone. Um, which I tried not to do that too. Right. I apologize for that, but I've never had an outward conversation with her about anything. Like I'm telling you guys right now, even with the abuse and all, I've never told her that. Never. Never. Now she's heard some things over the years and she brought it to my attention that that I thought she needed to know I confirmed for. Yes, that did happen. You know, that happened. And she would just shake her head. But it was really just to, to 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 show her in her relationships now, I don't understand where you know the decisions you're making because you were not exposed to any of this type of stuff. But um, I told him, you know, you're gonna have to figure this out for yourself. She graduated from high school. She didn't want to give him a ticket to the graduation. Mm. I said, you know, you got to give your dad a ticket to the graduation. Like this is you're his firstborn. Um, he didn't graduate high school. I think this is something gonna be important to him and. I think, you know, he should be that, no, for what? I want people there who supported me and who loved me. I was like, he loves you well, too bad. 
I begged her, please mm-hmm. give him a half a ticket. So we ended up getting tickets for her and him, and this is a whole nother open show. But I'm, long and short of the story is that he came, he cried, confessed his undying love, you know, of course made her feel some kind of way, so now she's loving on him, and went exactly back to the exact same spot that they were in, like maybe a month later. Hmm. Didn't return her call, lied to her about small things, and again, it was my fault. It was my fault that that happened too. So um, with those cheering, my recommendation is that, of course, when they're young, you shield them from as much as you can. But don't lie. Don't lie either. Don't lie either. Do not paint a picture of that parent, whether it be the mother or the father. Don't paint a picture for them that isn't accurate because you're only hurting them when you do that. That doesn't mean that time you know you're going to be beating the hell out of me. I don't mean that, but. You also don't need to, you know, daddy has a temper. Daddy gets very angry. I don't know why daddy gets angry, but he does. And mommy just couldn't live with daddy anymore because when daddy's temper was high, we did not get along. That's the truth. And I'm okay with telling my kids that because I think they deserve to know that. Mm -hmm. So that there is no, when their dad blows up at them at some point, they'll know. It didn't just come from out of anywhere. Mommy knew that too. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying, but um, I also know that sometimes the men or the abusers, sometimes the women are different with their kids. Um, And then the other thing too, I'm going to write this down to talk about it is that even when we are telling our kids the truth, not saying it was in in your case or mine's or Desi's case, um, sometimes we have to be careful of the narrative that we're painting for them because I end up, having this image and this baggage about my dad that wasn't mine. It was my mother's, you know, so I, I, you know, and I didn't resolve that until I was 27. So even in the cases of me in the abuse prior, and I was so protective or secretive about it, and it had a lot to do with shame, but the other part of, um, because of my relationship with my dad, I didn't want that for my children. So I lied about a lot of stuff and tried to cover up a lot of stuff and try to protect the fathers and everything. Um, but it got to a point where that that shame and that guilt just was lifted. And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you the truth. So even with like my oldest daughter, father, like I was fighting him back too. And I had to tell her my dirty truth as well of the times that I was aggressive for him. And I had, you know, was arrested for, you know, acting crazy and you know, fighting him and how he fought me back or whether he, you know, so I had to tell the truth about it. And this conversation did happen when she was a lot older, um, but she was happy. But when, when she did begin to ask the questions, I began to give her the responses that was age appropriate. I didn't go too far. So this is for the listeners. Don't you go too far. Okay. Really bad. No, you don't got to tell them the nooks and crannies, but no. I just think it is important to be as honest as you think they can stand it. Yeah. They can stand Yes, until you. I have a question for Desi. Mm-hmm. Um, Desi, as uh, the youngest mama um, on the panel today, um, have have you yet experienced with your son um, asking you like about his dad or why aren't you with daddy or have you experienced that? And if you have, what have you what have you told him? So um, it's a very different situation for my son because he has experienced a lot from young and um 
I take a lot of the blame for putting him through that or introducing him to that without even learning who his father were, who his father was. Um, so I have a lot of that guilt. When he was younger, um, he's six now. When he was younger, he knew a, a normal life would be sometime with mom, sometime with dad, but absolutely looked up to his father. His father was his everything. Um, a part of that was manipulated mm-hmm. um, by his dad. Uh, and his dad would tell him certain things about me, which then I have gone through very many, many, many upsetting visits where I had to, um, because we split 50-50 time sharing and I have to go pick him up. It's always been in, in a location where there's people around because I I was just still very thrown off by what he did to me um, till this day. So Tristan would cry, like hysterically cry to come and be with me. And then he would say things like, you see, he doesn't choose you. He, he wants to stay with me. So he was, he was manipulated early on, but then later on, all I, uh, I kept ri- reminding of my son was, um, look, I am going to protect you. I am always going to be here for you. And then our love and our bond grew as he got to understand more and more. He does ask me about why the marriage didn't work. But he still also at such a young age understands that his father and, and his mother are two different people. I mean, he feels it. He he sees it. He experiences it. What I didn't like was the amount of exposure he had because he knows a lot. He knows mommy went to jail. Mm-hmm. He knows mommy went to jail because mommy and daddy weren't getting along. And although he was really young while going through all of that, I still think it's wrong. He knows daddy went to jail. He knows daddy's currently facing two big charges that has to do with sexual abuse with a minor. Hmm. He is very aware of that and will tell me straight to my face, my dad did not do that Hmm. when he doesn't know because of what he was exposed to and what, what, what he was told. He's six, right? And uh, just for the listeners out there, uh, I know um, Daddy's baby and just as cute as he wants to be. Yes, he is. And I, um, I hear you, con- when we're on the phone, like he'll come up to her and I constantly hear you say, I love you, I love you. You might say it like eight times in one minute. Him. And he responds every time with, I love you too, mommy. Or he'll run up to you and say, I love you, mommy. And I love that. I absolutely love that. So I just wonder what that dynamic was like um, uh, with you and uh, your son and your son's father. Thank you for answering that. Yes, a very good question, Sharice. Um, something we want our listeners um, to be able just to hear. We have all varying um, stories on that, um, and hopefully someone would be able to relate with it. Um, the last one here, as we are coming to a close soon, I can't believe we've been talking for a while about this. This is good stuff. Good stuff. 
Uh, uh, Desi talked about it a little bit uh, was the use of male privilege. So treating her like a servant. I think I already told y'all what it did to me. Um, Making all the big decisions, acting like the master of the castle and being the one that really defines the man's and the woman's role. And this one is tricky for me because I am submissive. Am I naturally submissive? No. Okay. No, I am not. Will I submit? Yes. Um, Because it's a a huge part of me that wants to have someone be the head of the household because of so many roles that I have in life that I'm always in charge. I'm like, this is the one place I don't want to be in charge. Like, can somebody else please do it? And I think that being in these abusive relationships, and you and they find a woman that's doing that, like they go overboard with the male things. Like I'm the man, you know, you're going to do what I say do. And I think that come along with that is a lot of huge, it's a a huge responsibility that most men um, that have this abusive type mentality don't understand. Um, Sharice, you said it's kind of cultural. What do you mean by um, it's cultural? Oh, yeah. If you think about, at least in, 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 in African-American uh, communities and, and homes where there were two-parent homes, um, at least where I grew up, the father was the dominant figure. He got the big pork chop, as Chris Rock would say. So um, my mom worked a full-time job and still came home mo- many nights until I started cooking and cooked. And it, her rule was, Nobody can eat before her husband, that piece of shit. But um, nobody can eat before he did. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, though she was the breadwinner, he still made all the decisions in the house. Um, and so growing up, I, I just remembered those things. And even if I go back to my grandmother, uh, my grandfather was the dominant figure. What he said, even if it wasn't a, a good decision, which oftentimes it wasn't because he still had that, older black man born in the 20s syndrome, my grandfather I'm talking about now, um, she still allowed him to make the decision. So I knew immediately in my marriage, we would not have gender-specific roles. However, I still wanted it to be somewhat traditional. So with that, the uh, first, my first, the abuser, um, he was dominant. He made all the decisions. Remember, I couldn't even have a job. He would not allow me to. So he made every decision for us. I, the only thing I could do was um, maybe decide what we would have for dinner. And sometimes I couldn't even do that because if I got uh, ground beef out to make spaghetti, he might say, I don't want spaghetti. I want tacos. Okay, then we'll have tacos. So it's even that, he did that. But in, in my marriage today, we don't have gender-specific roles. However... I am submissive in the fact that I want my husband to be the head of the household. I really do. I want him to have that role, but I want him to. He doesn't claim dominance over anything. I'm allowing him. I tell him all the time, I allow you. (laughs) I wish y'all could have saw his face. (laughs) But he'll tell you that. He, He calls me the warden. And he says, I needed you. You were exactly what I needed in my life because the other women in his life weren't like that's a separate that's a separate show (laughs) but um, he does not like for me to answer the door 
when he's home. He doesn't like for me to answer the door. He likes to do that. Um, he does not like for me to handle trash of any kind. He does not like that. Um, when we pray over our food, because my, my son, my husband, and I, we have dinner together every night. Either he or, he or my son says grace. I don't. One of them has to do it. Um, he does not. Like, he does not like for me to handle business per se. Like if he, you know, he'll include me in, but he wants the person to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And I asked him why was that. He was like, you know, people respect you and your house more when there's a man present. Yes. Sometimes they kind of think that they can run over a woman. So I want them to know that there is a man present in this house. Um, if one of his friends comes or a male person comes, like a, a, a guy, I cannot let them in his house if he is not there. He could be around the corner. You got to wait. Honey, Billy here. I'll be there in a minute. You tell him to have a seat in this car or on the stoop. You'll be all right. Okay. He'll be here in a minute. So <laughs> that type of thing I actually love about my husband. He doesn't, he doesn't even let me walk on the outside. When we're walking in the parking lot, or he does not let me walk on the outside. I have to walk inside. He doesn't like that. Um, when we go to sleep, the way our bed is positioned, he does not like for me to sleep close to the door. He wants me to sleep away from the door. Honey, what difference does it make? If something happens, I need to be right here. Mm-hmm. You be over there. So that's the kind of man that I have now, but that is not the dominance that I had in the first. You see what I'm saying? They both have the dominant presence. They both had that. But in that first relationship, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like that. It was dominance in a different way. It, I was slave over that and hit with him. But my husband now is still a partnership. He just, he's, he's the head of the household, and that's how I want it. Does that make sense? It does um, make sense. So the question to both of you, I know, Sharice, uh, you are married. I'm single out here. By the way, I'm still on Operation Stepdad. If you know, smiling girl DM. I'm talking about the old me. And ain't me no more. You know, I'm not like that no more. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm playing, but not really. Uh, and Desi, you are official. Um, so I am single, but I'm just not living single. Okay, we're going to that's another episode. Complicated. <laughs> another episode, people. Another episode. But it has to do with abuse as well. And it's more of um of a control factor than anything. Yep, using that control. So with that in mind, I know should we say that you are you was able to find someone and I'm talking more so of like this male privilege because there are aspects of abuse of male privilege that when used in a healthy way are things that I'm naturally attracted to about men. And Desi even mentioned like a lot of men in our generations don't. So a man that's able to take the lead uh, and do it in a way that's respectful and it does, um, uh, I guess, taking into account everybody in the family, I naturally submit to that. You know, or, you know, the things that you were mentioning, I, I'll naturally submit. I, I want it, but I have to always now I'm so careful because of my history to be like, is this nigga an abuser? <laughs> yes. Is it going to, yeah, to up? examine the situation first? <laughs> 
So what are some things or advice, like now that you were able to choose this new relationship, you can give Desi and I some tips on how to get out there and maneuver. Um, not saying that we are, but for even for people listening, that we're not having the shadow of the abuse over our head and that we are making uh, good choices in terms of deciding on our next healthy relationships. So school us. That is such a great question, Chakra. Um, so the first thing that I would say is be honest about your past, but don't be stuck in it. Mm-hmm. Okay, this happened to you. Don't wear it as a piece of clothing. Don't like when you get ready for your Operation Stepdad day, mm-hmm. put your pretty makeup on, put your pretty banging outfit on, those stilettos, but leave the baggage at home. Like that's not what you bring with. Leave that. That does not have to be part of your ensemble, right? Mm-hmm. You're not ashamed of it, you're just not stuck in it. So let it be there, right? Um, And then after that, keep the past in the past. Just be vigilant. Be vigilant. Pay attention to the signs. If it doesn't feel right, acknowledge that. Acknowledge that it doesn't feel right. Say that. Say that it doesn't feel right. And be okay with that. Either way, like, don't treat this new situationship like it's the end all to be all. If it doesn't, look, this don't feel right. My motto was always, if you piss me off and we're still in the honeymoon phase, there is no future. Like, how are we already having this kind of a a bust up and we ain't even made it to the altar yet? We ain't even, nigga, we ain't even uh, slept together 10 times yet. You've already pissed me off. So how is that going to work, you know, long term? Um, <laughs> be um, honest with your own faults. You got to make a, a list of things that you need to work on and be honest about them. That's hard, you know what I mean? Because we've talked about, all of us have talked about what we contributed to some of our situations, but a lot of people don't want to acknowledge their own stuff. Um, Even in my marriage now, there are things that I have had to acknowledge because I was fucking up. You know, I was, as um, one of our participants said, super single. (laughs) And I was about to fight. Turnstile at my door. Turnstile, like, ugh. Come on in. He's leaving. Come on in. <laughs> and I um, <laughs> I had gotten to this place where I was like, I, I got to get myself together because I'm thinking about what I felt like when I first left that abusive relationship. I had a lot of making up to do in my mind. And so I thought that that meant I should do this as long as I can with whoever wants to do it. Um, and as a result, I almost missed mm-hmm. my husband. I almost missed him. Um, and I guess more importantly, keep your options open real wide. Mm-hmm. Don't narrow it down to, I like this particular kind of guy who has to do this and has to have this. Don't do that because it didn't get you very far mm-hmm. in life with the other ones, right? So open the gamut up. Do something you've always done so you can get something you've never had. So. That would be my advice. My husband on paper, I would have looked right over him. There's no way in the world I would have said, I want, no. <laughs> and I told him, so this is not a secret. If you asked him, he would tell you that I said, on paper, you checked off all the boxes for a hard pass. Mm-hmm. But I opened myself up to this idea 
And I allowed myself to become friends with this man. I allowed myself to learn him, and I'm still learning him. And what I know now today is regardless to whatever is going on, I don't want to be married to anybody but my husband. Hmm. I don't want to be married to anybody but my husband. Everything else is a whole nother open show. (laughs) So thank you so much. Those are some really great tips. Um, But most importantly, I I love that you started this whole thing with, I would just sum it up with the words forgiveness, forgive yourself, forgive yourself. And I think that was the hardest part uh, for me and many others, just forgiving yourself that um, even though you you own your shit, (laughs) what you did, but you don't deserve that. You didn't deserve it. And it wasn't your fault. It's a reflection of that person. So heal forgive, move on. So yes, absolutely. So um, Des, any um, final thoughts or words of encouragement to anyone that may be in a situation of domestic violence? Yes. Um, Whatever the type, know that there's a way out, first and foremost. Um, Trust yourself that it is happening. Do not blame yourself for it happening. Um, there's been many times where even to this day, sometimes I think like I could have avoided that. Um, and it is possibly true that, you know, there are ways that you can avoid it, but um, just try to use better judgment. Try to listen to the people that truly love you and truly support you um, and find that support. It does not always have to be with family. It could be with friends. Mm-hmm. You guys have supported me in so many ways. Um, but know that you can get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ms. Sharice? Sharice? I have some support groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, donated and attended uh, meetings and, and uh, galas for the Bobby Christina Serenity House. This is... Um, a foundation that was created by Bobby Brown and his wife in memory of his daughter, Bobby Christina, um, who was murdered um, by her abuser. Um, Also, in your areas, um, you can find um, all kinds of domestic abuse help centers. I know in Chicago, there's a Chicago Works organization. It's My Passion Project is creating... uh, uh, um, a project or a plan for battered and abused women and children, um, specifically ones who were addicted to drugs and trying to rehabilitate themselves back into into the world. Find places like that to help you. Um, and then call on your higher power, whatever that is. I know for me, I was raised in a church, which was all the more reason why it was so hard for me to understand why God would allow me to be put in a situation like this. And I fought with that for a really long time. I probably was mad had died for a little bit. But what I learned was he put me in a situation because I was the only one who could go through it and come out of it on this end. So faith and friends and family that you can trust that rely on them. And as Kira said, forgiveness. You you didn't deserve what you went through. You got to forgive yourself. Allow yourself that time to heal and 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 be honest with yourself. I can't say it enough. Be honest with yourself. Don't 
don't sugarcoat the truth. Just be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny that no, you talk about the the support groups because I am um, I love groups on Facebook. I am a part of a a mom's group um, where I actually saw a post the other day and it stated from like one of the moms, if you're stuck in the quarantine with um, your abuser, um, just make sure, you know, to put as if you're trying out this new product and send me the address and I'll go ahead and I'll call the cops to get to that address because, you know, a lot of women that are abused, they can't, they can't say, they can't just pick up the phone and be like, 911, what's your emergency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though, you know, we know where, you, where you're located, but it's just still like, if you feel like you just have that moment where you need to get out, I thought that was really good. I thought that was really supportive for the mother to do because it just, it screams that I'm going through this right now and I need help and I don't know how to get myself out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm definitely going to share some resources at the end of this um, so that everyone know how to uh, get help and creating a safe space as possible and having some type of safety plan in place um, in case things happen, like the one that um, Desi is talking about. Uh, We never want to say that we're going to be in these situations. However, when you are, it's about getting out of them safely and quickly as possible. Um, And then making sure that you're doing the work so that you don't find yourself in this situation again. Um, Any other final thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, or burning testimonies? Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for talking about this. I know it's a, a tough subject. But I was like, what better people to help bring awareness on it? So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining in the conversation. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having us. I'm always down for a conversation to help, you know, brothers and sisters to understand that it's not just you. you it's, you're not alone. Uh, that taboo situation that you think is only happening to you has happened to many people. And so I'm always down for these types of conversations. And if people want to hear more conversations, not about domestic violence, but about all the crazy messes going on in the world, where can we find you on the hot toddy? The hot toddy. Search for H-O-T space T-O-D-Y R-E-P-O-R-T. The hot toddy report where we talk about all kinds of foolishness from love and relationship to religion to politics to sex, lots of sex. (laughs) <laughs> we also do medical advice and law advice. And what's really great about this group is that it's something being posted every five minutes. Debbie's in the group. There's something being posted every five minutes to keep you entertained through this quarantine. We give recipes. We do um, birthday shout-outs. So it's a group that uh, is meant to give you an outlet to express really your thoughts and feelings on all kinds of things in a safe environment away from your friends and family who may not be as um, lucid as we are, right? Like, it was really creative because I have a lot of political thoughts and nasty people thoughts, and my mom and dad are on my real page, and I cannot have those conversations with them. So the Hot Potty Report was meant to just give you a place to be really 
super expressive. So we're a private Facebook page, but if you find me, we will absolutely add you. Just be open now. Yes, and when you request to join, when you request to join, make sure that you add in there that you're coming from Moms and Martinis. So this way, you know, <laughs> your request is not denied. Vice <laughs> versa, you're in the hot toddy and you're listening to this podcast and you want to listen up, show my friend Chakra. Yeah. Shakira some love. Please show my friend Shakira some love. I've listened to several of your podcasts and I'm always entertained, but then I like listening to you talk anyway, Shakira, so I'm a little biased. Thank mm-hmm. you. Speaking of podcasts and like listening to a friend talk, Desi, tell us about Oh, She Mix, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, She Mix is um, really just talking about some of the things that I had gone through growing up um, because I am Black and Spanish, and it's so hard because I'm either with my Black friends or I'm with my Spanish friends. And if anybody can relate, then um, that definitely is the podcast for you. But I also talk about and will be talking about some um, things that we go through as young parents and women and just anything that inspires me. And your podcast definitely does that because I can relate to so many, like toxic people, for instance. (laughs) Tell me, tell me. Now, speaking of toxics, you got to get your hair and your skin clear of the toxics. And you want to do that by heading on over to my good friend, Paige. So tell me about your, your hair and your skincare. Yes. So Monet is um, the products that I use. Um, And what I like about Monet is that um, there are so many deals where you have the ability to mix and match the products because if you may have oily skin or if you have really rough, dry hair, either way, you can mix it up and you can make it your own. So um, it's something that I use. I was really looking for something good because I knew I was going to be on camera more so. And I was like, I need to make my, my skin look flawless. And so when I did that, I um, made sure that um, I really tested out the product, see how it worked first for myself, because everybody's specific. But it's vegan. It's um, friendly. There's no harms in the, in the um, ingredients. And it's really, really neat. So if you want, check out my page and I'll help you get set up. Yes, and I'll make sure that I link the information as well. One last reminder, and then we'll close up for the day. As mentioned at the beginning of the episode, make sure that you are doing your part by shaping our future and completing the response to the 2020 census. It is happening right now. You can respond online, by phone, or by the mail. Um, Your response does matter. And as mentioned, the census Census results help to determine how billions of dollars in the federal funding flows in terms to which states and which communities. So we definitely want to make sure that we are funneling that money over to the communities in which we live, work, and serve. So that is going to be most important. So go ahead and fill out the census. Um, After we wrap up today, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to fill out mine. So you got to go ahead and fill out yours. All right. Otherwise, uh, Sherry say it's going to be at your door. Okay. <laughs> I got a full tank of gas. I ain't been nowhere. Okay. She's going to uh, 
knock six feet away with a mask and some gloves, but we coming. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So thank you, ladies, once again. And thank you for all of you that's tuning in for another episode of Moms and Martinis. Oh. I thought I lost you.